Hello and welcome to Falter Ego episode 16. Um, this episode is called uh, Good Grief uh, Part 2 because, uh, um, well, because I've just got more things to say, I suppose. More things to say about um, yeah, the whole grieving process and uh, some things I've realized in the past month. The past horrible months. Um, so I don't want to talk uh, too much more about my own specific experience of grief. I, I dealt with that in the previous episode about uh, the sort of the physicality of it and uh, I guess aspects of, yeah, uh, grieving that I hadn't anticipated, um, how physical it was and, and, and all that kind of thing. I think what I want to talk about in this episode is a more broad reflection on uh how we how we approach uh, death as a society, and, and just how um, just how un, like just how it's, n- it's just not talked about, and how I'm not not prepared for. It. I, I feel like you know we put more effort into um, explaining things that are of, uh, of, of extremely trivial, like how to pay your you know your water bill. There's an animated explainer online for that. <laughs> produced by the government or whoever. Um, but when it comes to really important stuff, it, it just, it feels like we're constantly on some sort of frontier. Um, this sort of complete, uh, you know, unexplored area on a map, despite the fact that by definition, like billions of people have died uh, and therefore uh, billions of people have gone through the grieving process. There's not feels to me like when my father passed away, I was discovering this notion um, almost for the first time. Like nobody really talks to you about it. Like when you're at high school, they prepare you, you know, we're doing home ed class today. And so we're going to teach you how to bake a cake. Um, you know, <laughs> they don't really spend much time at school or like, you know, local, I don't know, eat. there's no evening classes on death. You know, there's, there's, there's what is it? Uh, Pino and Picasso, like have a glass of wine with friends and paint Picasso, and which is lovely. That's really nice, you know. So th- there's art classes and evening classes and TAFE and, you know, there's technical colleges and university degrees and all these things, um, all of which seem to skirt around death, <laughs> which I feel like is kind of an important thing to know either how to approach yourself, like I, I would hope that when it, you know, when I, when I uh, if I ever get sick or whatever, and I know my time is coming, I, I, I hope I will approach that with some equanimity. And I, I feel like the more I read uh, on sort of Eastern spirit, spirituality and Eastern thought, the more likely that is. Um, but again, there's nothing to help us um, approach our own death or... Um, or to ha- or how to uh, understand what's going to happen when someone we love or is uh, close to us dies. I said there's nothing out there. There's lots and lots out there, but you really have to deliberately go and find it. You know, as, as soon as my father passed away, uh, one of the first things I did, knowing that I had a long-haul flight ahead of me, was I just loaded up my Kindle on um, lots of books about grieving and how to process and all that, you know. And I, I was fortunate enough that, you know, about what four years ago, five years ago, I did start going down this sort of um, 
philosophical slash spiritual uh, binge that hasn't stopped. And I've become a much happier person since. So I, I definitely think it's, the, it's been a good decision for me. Um, and obviously within all that, there's a lot about death. And so I, I feel like I'm far more fortunate than, um, I guess, maybe not the majority of people, but a, a vast quantity of people who, when the loved one passes away, it's like suddenly, oh, um, okay, what, um, what, 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 what do I... <laughs> What, what the fuck do I, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Like I, you know, I see stormtroopers in Star Wars dying. They will get shot and fall over. But the actual process of feeling that your loved one is gone, like no one's prepared me for this. Um, and I feel like it shouldn't be up to us to go out and discover that, um, you know, and to, to have to deliberately kind of, you, 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 when when a loved one dies, you don't suddenly want to become an academic. You don't have to go out and read. Oh shit! I suppose now I've got to like become an expert in this thing so that I, my mind doesn't split apart. You know, you don't want to be researching how to go through the thing at the same time as you're going through the thing because um, it's it's too much. So I, I was extremely lucky that I was at least um, somewhat far down the line of exploring these topics uh, when it happened. But that was just pure coincidence, you know, and I, pure, pure um, sorry, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words because I'm extremely jet lagged um, and exhausted emotionally, physically. Uh, so I do, do forgive my odd uh, stumble, which again, due to tiredness, I won't have the energy to edit out. So we're just going to leave all the mistakes in guys. Um, Yes, I was lucky. I, 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 you know, and and uh, what was it about six months ago now, um, or maybe from not even that long ago, I took my um, my Buddhist vows of refuge, um, which was just you know, um, I guess a, a somewhat official way of saying you are a Buddhist. Um, doesn't mean you have to go and live in a forest or anything. It's a you know anyone a layman can do it. And you have a brief chat about Buddhism and just to make sure you're not some fucking weirdo that wants to do it uh just so they can say they've done it on a podcast or their instagram page like they you know they do check that you're genuine um but you know so uh, i'm lucky that i i've i've been through all that and you know i've read a lot about it and i do try and do the things they say you should do which is like meditate on death and say to yourself you know uh what is it the five and uh, this, this sort of a, a meditation on this that you can go through um, which is that, you know, I am of the nature that I, I will, I can get sick and getting sick is inevitable. I'm of the nature that, um, I can grow old and that is also unavoidable. I'm of the nature that I will one day, that I can die and one day I will die. Uh, everything and everyone around me is impermanent. I'm one day, everyone around me will die. And then the final one is, um, that, you know, um, all that's going to live on after me is my actions. Actions are the only sort of, um, my actions and the impact I have on the world around me are the only true way that I remain. Um, or some words to that effect. And, you know, you apparently in some Buddhist schools, they, they do that on loop for hours in the morning. And so, you, you know, you really feel the death is right there all the time. It's you, You're very aware of the transience of everything. But I, I feel like, Culturally, we just try to avoid 
it and avoid talking about it at all costs. We're grossly unprepared for it. So I, I you know, I feel um, I'm a little bit lucky that I, I, I guess I was a bit more prepared and, and I was a bit more philosophical about what it means that my dad is no longer here. So I wasn't too mm, grief stricken in the sense that he's gone forever. Like I know that Fortunately, he had, a, he had a wonderful impact on the community around him. He was very, he, he was a um, solicitor, a lawyer, and he devoted most of his free time either to lovely hobbies, uh, music, um, or, or helping charitable organizations. He, you know, you find out after he's dead that he was, on, you know, the chairman on all these different charities. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know you, I didn't even know he did this. But I'm lucky that, you know, he had this positive impact and I know that in some fashion, you know, whether you want to call it karma or just cause and effect that, you know, he's created ripples and they're going to go on forever and they go on through me. And so I'm, I'm quite, you know, uh, or scientifically, if you want to think of it in terms of the, you know, first law of thermodynamics that, you know, nothing, no, nothing is created or destroyed. It's only converted, you know, he is the energy in his brain might have turned off, but that doesn't just disappear. It's gone into the words he said, and then those words he said created sound waves, which hit my ears, which then generated electrical signals and affected my behavior. So, you know, it's it's a, your existence, once you perform any action, you, you, you're flicking the first domino on a line of dominoes that's infinite, never stops. So in the energy of that propulsion of those, each domino hitting the next one, you're, that's your energy that's in that line of dominoes. You know, you're not gone. Um, you just changed to something else. So I, I, I'm not sad that he's, I don't believe, uh, you know, I don't think he's gone, gone. Um, I, I know the fruits of his existence are everywhere around me and that's, that's lovely. But just, um, it's still like, just, just this frontier, I guess. It's like as soon as there's this kind of huge existential frontier, this like wild west of just not knowing what the fuck, fuck any of this means. Um, as soon as someone dies, like organizing the funeral, uh, who, who, who do I, who's, who's, who are we supposed to call? Do we invite these people or not these people? What kind of service is it? And what he didn't say in his will, what kind of service he wanted. Um, so now you weighing up, like interpreting what kind of thing he would have wanted. Um, he wasn't particularly religious. In fact, he stated quite a few times that he was sort of an atheist. Um, but we had like a, a Christian service and do I, should I feel weird about that? Um, there's no, there was, there's no, just nothing I could have done instead of doing like cake school, <laughs> Like cake classes, like here's to make some fucking muffins so that when you're at university, you can like, why do you, why are you teaching me to bake muffins at fucking when I'm 17? As, as if I don't need to know that when I'm going to go to university or onto the next stage of my life. Um, it's not really going to help me like when I'm trying to study, like, hey, everyone, let me crack out the fucking muffins. It's muffin time. <laughs> cupcakes for everyone like teach me how to cook something nutritious maybe but beyond all that like I can read a recipe book as well like there are recipe books well where's the why wasn't I taught how to get through the month after my father dies like that is crucial or my mum or you know in 
20 years time, maybe my brother, you know, or you know, what if my wife gets an illness? Like where, where is this stuff? I shouldn't have to go. I shouldn't have to become an academic at the worst time in my life. It's hard enough reading up on these things when you've got all the free time in the world. It's heavy stuff to be reading. Certainly on an aeroplane, well, there's a sort of somewhat um, noisy family sitting next to you, one of whom obviously has flatulence. Like, I don't, I don't want to be reading about how to, how to cope with the unexpected death of the North Star of your existence. Um, I don't want to be reading that on an aeroplane with, you know, just some little kid just doing little, those ones, you know, that's quite a loud fart for a kid. Um, I'm ex- I'm exerting some poetic license there. <laughs> this one-year-old was going <laughs> just these enormous, enormous. But it's just I, I find um, I guess what I'm reflecting on this episode again. Like I said, I, I've talked about my grief in the previous episode and and how that felt on a physical level, which has slowly subsided. Um. But I guess the, the broad reflection in this episode is just this, this huge gulf of um, yeah awareness and acceptance for this this Im, Im massive topic. It's, I I feel weirdly uh, it's very symmetrical, but I have similar feelings to this uh, as to when I you know my my daughter was born. It's a similar feeling of just being propelled into this frontier. And again, yes, there are parenting books. Um, Yes, you can read about it, but, you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I, I was a little bit, um, I suppose I was a little bit diligent and a little bit studious and then I, you know, once, I guess like two months before my daughter was born, I started reading the parenting books. But then, you know, it's it, it's still, the, the, the thing about learning how to change a nappy, for example, is that you learn to change a nappy on a doll when you've had a great night's sleep and you've just walked to the, you know, what it, parenting class that the local council runs or whatever, um, in the sunshine of your own volition and choosing, like you, you've chosen to do this. Um, you've just had your coffee, had a shower, and you're changing the nappy on this inert object um, that's extremely compliant because it's got no will of its own. Um you don't, they don't teach you how to change a nappy by sleep depriving you. And you don't have a grown up with a megaphone in your ear just going, <laughs> you know, like, so, which would be really, <laughs> really freaky. Like, that's my only talent is making a baby noise. So, really, there was only one choice for my career was being a, a baby coach. Um, parenting coach, I just pretend to be a child uh, in parents' ears with a, a stopwatch and a whistle, like a football coach getting to change nappies. But you, you don't learn how to change nappies in the environment in which you will then be changing nappies. The first time you change a nappy for real, you're stressed, you've not been sleeping. You know, in my case, you know, my wife had a, a cesarean, so a C-section, so, and her recovery was painful and we had these like two nights or three nights in the hospital that were just fraught with pain and she couldn't walk to the toilet. And then the, on top of that, you got the baby itself and just changing a nappy while your hands are 
got the caffeine shakes and it's the baby's crying and your wife's there going, why is she crying? And it's like, I don't know, I don't fucking know. The, the doll didn't cry in the really comfortable council environment when I had the great night's sleep. It wasn't like this at all. Um, there's just, again, it's this, this idea of being thrust into a frontier. Um, and there's just, there's no real sort of preparation for it that's foisted on you. Again, there's lots of, you know, if you, if you, if you want to drive a car, you have to pass, you have to get a license for that. You have to pass it, you have to have to get a driver's license. And, but to, when you have a baby, they just hand it to you and say, right, go home. There's the, keep it alive. Like, how, what do I what do I do next? Do I, uh, you know, uh, put it on its back, its front? Like, (laughs) just, I don't know what angle should I leave it alone (laughs) at? You know, just a trillion questions and you're just sort of expected to muddle through and obviously people do, but nobody makes you sit a test or take a questionnaire. Like, are you a psycho? Like, ask, you know, you're taking this thing home, this living thing. It's like, Where's the question? Are you a psycho? Do you take crack? Are you a shaker? Are you going to shake this thing? Um, and it's you, you know, you're taking home a miracle. I mean, you're taking home a, a woman has somehow taken matter by ingesting it. Like she's just eating sandwiches and f- fucking spolonaise, spaghetti bolognese. That's what young kids call it. Can you get me some spolly, some bolognese, some spaghetti bolognese, and they can you can she can just eat that for nine months and somehow convert it into conscious matter. You know, she she you could feed a woman nothing but BLTs, or probably not that healthy to do so, but you could feed her nothing but bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwiches, and she will convert that into a human. You know, not not even some like hideous human sandwich hybrid with like bacon for a face and like lettuce for hair and just like just comes out sort of sort of flopping across the floor whispering kill me i am i am an abomination um you know she turns into a proper person that's incredible and it's conscious as well she's taken non-conscious matter physical matter she take, she's essentially taken a pocket of the universe that was not conscious and converted it into a pocket of conscious universe. And that's, that is, that is as close to the definition and it's, it's a real world, non-biblical and far surpasses anything in the Bible, miracle converting non-conscious matter into conscious matter. Um, and, you know, if you want to get really deep you know, with scientists and quantum physicists and all this sort of stuff, we're all discovering or realizing that, I mean, we're not quite sure to ha- what degree and on what level, whether it's just on the quantum level or if it's more applicable on the large scale. But it seems that by witnessing the universe, we slightly impact it and affect it and possibly even create it. So <clears throat> in, that, in that respect, the, the woman has created something on which the universe depends on for its existence. Uh, and she's done that by eating. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's like you've been 
handed the Big Bang. And they go, right, take care of that, love. All right, you're going to be okay. Yeah, just make sure, you know, take vitamins and have sleep proper, yeah. But um, here's the Big Bang. Here's basically the the fa- the uh, the thing that on which all existence hinges on, and uh, here is a miracle. Here is here is consciousness that generates uh, the universe around you. All right, so just put it in a cot and make sure it doesn't die. Okay, love. Ta-ra. Like what? Like where's the book on that? Where's the where is the instruction manual? Where is the test that I had to pass to be entrusted? with the future of and the present of the universe. I mean, who knows, even the fucking past of the universe, who knows, maybe babies are responsible for creating time itself. I mean, just, it's a frontier. And you just go into it thinking, I'll be ready to have it. When I, when I have a baby, I'll be ready. I'll know all the things. And then, of course, life gets in the way. And you don't prepare and you have a job and then you, you, your wife's stomach is getting larger and larger and the, the day is approaching and, you, and then, then suddenly that you're just holding this thing, this conscious thing. I, I feel, I felt as thrust into a new unknown um, when my father passed away as when my child was born. And... It's interesting to me that the that the bookends of existence are just really given scant attention by, um, well, every just, I guess the people we look to for guidance, like thought leaders, it's just not it's not anywhere. It's not in the news. It's not in it's not on the front page of the newspaper. You know, this just in. Please remember, you are going to die. And you should reflect on that and prepare yourself for it every single day. But we we don't, and we you know, I th- this is going to get conspiratorial now. But um, well, no, it's not actually. I don't want to say that word. This is just no, th- no, no. I'm, I'm on the money here. Um, <laughs> I was about to start saying some weird things. Um, there's a I, uh, I suppose mainstream media and um, just, you know, culture in general probably doesn't want us to focus on the fact that we'll be conscious of and aware of the fact that death is an intrinsic part of everything and it's going to happen and it's coming for us all. Because if that was put in the forefront of our mind, fewer of us would rock up to the call centre job just so we can raise enough money to live in a shit apartment and buy fucking you know subscribe to disney plus like who's you know i've got to watch she hulk i've got to watch andor i've got to know i've got to consume every possible uh pockets of the star wars universe that they keep discovering more pockets of uh until you know they're just turning into a content machine i've got to know all of that but i've got to pay for disney plus i've got to go to the shit job that i hate like you you would prioritize things differently if you were more aware that uh, life is you can't take life for granted and that it does end and it is finite and you've only got one and death is coming for you like it's just harder to turn up to your job selling health insurance to vulnerable old people over the phone you know or whatever I've done you know I've I've had my 
fair share of shitty jobs, you would just walk in, you just go walking in the forests and bask in the sunlight and go, I'm just going to grow my own vegetables and, and, and detach from society. If you know, you get, you just have better priorities, but we don't, we don't that, you know, we don't talk about that. We, instead we, we do just, um, silence. We, we put a, a, uh, sort of a dopamine reality TV consumerist pillow over the face of, of our potential awakening and snuff it out. Just go to sleep. Stop breathing. But, but, but I feel like life is about more than this. Shut up and die. Um, you know, it's just, it's easier to just buy the things and the, and the products and, and just get caught in all of that when you're not, you're just not aware of the preciousness of everything. Um, and also we, we do a really good job at hiding death. Like, you know, there's all these products of, you know, look youthful and um, we just try and avoid it as much as possible. Um, you know, Botox and oh, I'm having, I'm having biotin. I'm having uh, phytoplankton injections into my, you know, into my scrotum. Um, so, have, so I have a smooth young scrotum, just like, just, just the lengths we go to, to try and pretend like it's still not going to happen. Like death isn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, culturally we're just illiterate. We're illiterate in death chat. Um, and so again, I've said this a lot in this episode, but I just feel really lucky that I, sort of chose to um, uh, re-embrace the um, sort of little Eastern spiritual seeds that were planted when I accidentally got, well, somebody convinced me to go to like Buddhist evening classes at uni uh, 20 years ago. And I just picked it up again like four years ago. Really lucky because I would have found that extremely difficult. Um, but again, I, I just find it, you know, if if you want to order, if you want to like sign up to Dollar Shave Club or something, there's like an animated explainer video on how to sign up or something. You know, some stupid, everything's subscription services now, isn't it? Um, but if you want to do some meaningless subscription service, which is probably really easy, you just go to the website and sign up and blah, blah, blah. For that, we need an, an animated explainer. You know, you can always just click on some cute animated video and it just j- j- jumps straight into, you know. Hey, are you tired of owning pants? Thinking about pants? Washing pants? Just always thinking about pants, pants, pants. Well, lucky for you, introducing... Calendar pants. That's right. Every first day of the month, we send you out fresh pants. You just wear them for a month. That's right, a month's worth of pants. And then you wear them and just throw them away. We'll deliver you fresh pants every first day of the calendar. Can't even speak properly. First day of the calendar. <laughs> and uh, and uh, just for this month, hey, you know what? Enter the promotional code DOUBLEPANTS and we'll send pants to one of your friends 
uh, for free a month's worth of free pants. Uh, and we'll send you twice as many pants. More pants than you actually need. Just uh, in case you want to wear two pairs of pants. And one on top of the other. That's right, double decker. Woohoo! Double pants. You yeah, enter that code now. Fucking <laughs> that. Anyway, it's, it's really simple. Uh, you just, you know, uh, you click. And here's the, here's, we have a pants portal. Specially designed by our team here at Calendar Pants. It just, and your size, preferred color, uh, fabric, and we do the rest. Pop in your address here and here, and enter your direct debit details so that you can subscribe to Pants. That's right, because everything is a subscription model these days. You're not allowed to fucking own anything, are you? Can I own my pants, please? No. You can rent them for a limited time only, uh, and then you have to rent more uh, because you are no longer allowed to possess the things that are yours. You're just going to be forever. It's like a mortgage for pants. Just sign up to 30 years worth of debt, and we will give you... Pants for life? No, I just want to look after my own pants. I will look after them, and when they start getting that hole on the crotch, don't know if you get that, I get it, I'll sew them up. Teach me how to sew. I'd rather use all the money that I would have used um, for, you know, doing uh, all this mail-order pants. Uh, just, I'd sew them, and I'll just have patchwork pants that last forever and no I don't want I'll, I don't want a mortgage for pants I want to own my own things yes but have you realized how convenient <laughs> it is to not own anything and just constantly like Microsoft Office Suite 365 can't own that anymore you can't buy that in the shops you have to we charge you every month Xbox Live everything you watch on TV Fucking Afterpay, PayPal in four, zip. Just constantly be slightly paying off everything that you could have just bought outright 20 years ago. But now the economy is so shit, we'd rather plunge you into years and years of incremental debt that you sort of don't notice for the privilege of us mailing you things. Because that's annoying, isn't it? Leaving your house to go shopping. Ugh. Imagine that, you might run into someone that you like or make a new friend. No, no, stay in your bubble. We'll mail pants right to your door and you slip the old pants that are soiled and you haven't washed in the return of pants envelope. Every <laughs> Everything has the word pants in it for things that already exist as if you've invented the concept of the, me of the postal system. The pencil system. Yeah, that's just... That's just stamps and envelopes that you've put the word pants into to make it sound like you've invented some new process. But we have! <laughs> I'm just enjoying pressing this button now that plays that music. Um, just put the pants in an envelope, send them back. We won't wash them. We'll set fire to it to fuel our pants factory. <laughs> we just run on pants. There you go. It's a circular economy. Um, but please, can't I just own my pants? I just just sell better quality things that last longer. 
instead of feeding into this disposable subscription model society that's just churning through. I don't want to order a razor. I don't want new razors every month or a new toothbrush or a new hairbrush. Do I have to subscribe to everything now? In 10 years' time, I'm going to be subscribing to a table instead of just owning my own furniture. Every month, just throw your furniture out and we'll deliver you a fresh table for just $1,000. We'll bring you... You choose... <laughs> the app... The user... What do they call them? The user portal is really easy to choose, uh, use. Select the dimensions, your preferred type of wood, and we'll deliver from... To choose from... <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Choose from... <laughs> this is, I'm just going to keep doing this. Choose from a range of materials. Pine, oak, ash, beech. And our team at... Fucking... Tables to you. <laughs> they all, they're all just... Uh, our team at Tables to You will assemble a fresh table every month. We don't know how that's going to last with like the forests and everything. They'll soon be gone, but who cares? Just subscribe to things, don't own them. Here's an explainer video to help you just become a consumer. You see what I mean? Like there's just, there's a video, there's an acute animated video to help explain how to sign up to, 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 to monthly pants. And <laughs> that, but there's no, there's no video just like, this is what you're going to go through when you die or when someone you love dies. There's just, it just there's no like, oh, <laughs> hey, your father just died unexpectedly. Don't worry. Maybe we'll do an Australian one now. Somebody close to you has just died. It's okay. It's going to feel a bit weird for a while. Just, you're going to have to shake a lot of people's hands at the wake. And they're going to tell you things about your dad that you probably don't know or don't even care about. And you're going to have to maintain that smile until the corners of your face hurt. They mean well, but you're in the depths of despair. But you're going to ha you have to, having to maintain a polite facade to make them feel good too. It's weird, isn't it? At precisely the time you want to be hiding under a doona and crying into a pillow... You're having to maintain some sort of public persona like you're the fucking queen or something. <laughs> oh, dear. Also, and this is a true story, um, they're going to ask you if you want to view the body. Now, who the fuck knows what the answer to that question should be? <laughs> What's the etiquette there? Let this explainer video help you by following this decision tree. Sign up to our grief portal... What are you supposed to say when they say that? Do you all go all your siblings together? Or is it more of a private thing? That's right, you don't fucking know. Because this is never discussed in the public domain. <laughs> when you do, if you do choose to visit the body, which I did by the way, um, it's gonna be weird. He's not gonna look quite like you remember him because he's lying on his back and, oh yeah, that's right, the coroners in the UK are so backed up, you didn't get access to the body until a month after he died. So he does look a little bit different and there's probably a lot of fluid there that's gone. Lying on his back, it sort of looks like he's had a facelift. He has that kind of weird puma face that women in their 70s get when they've had too much plastic surgery. 
<laughs> no, it's a bit cruel. No, the current the um, the funeral directors did an incredible job. Actually, he my dad looked extremely peaceful, um, and 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 looked as much like he ought to have done given the state that he was in. But nevertheless, it wasn't him, which is a good thing. You don't because if it if it did look too much like him you might be able to convince yourself, oh, that is him. And really, that's not healthy. I, I, well, anyway, I'm talking for myself here. I think it was good to process that the the the, the twinkle of genius that was behind, that always existed behind that face, that warm, stoic, affable, logical man, the, the glow of that presence was no longer behind that face. And that was really um, nice to see. But again, nobody tells you that seeing that your loved one's presence is no longer behind their face is a good thing. It's probably actually something you're scared of. But again, who's going to guide you through all this? Absolutely fucking no one. (laughs) Also, while you're on our website, subscribe to Coffins for Cash. Cash Coffins. Cashless Cashless coffins, that sounds better, doesn't it? Cashless coffins, all the convenience of a coffin without all the burden of cash. (laughs) For a monthly subscription, we'll change your father's coffin every month. We'll exhume the corpse and put him in a fresh coffin and toss the old coffin away. Can't I just own the coffin? It's It's in the ground. He's just gonna... Do I need that? I mean, why can you stay in that one? I want to own a coffin. Is nothing sacred anymore? Can I not just own something? No, rent. You're now, you're now on a minimum five-year subscription to cashless coffins. We'll exhume the corpse, change him into a nice fresh coffin. <laughs> we'll we'll mail we'll mail the coffin. <laughs> we'll mail the coffin to your door. <laughs> Um, with a fresh sachet I'm just going to keep fucking playing with this song you must be so annoyed with this by now we're going to keep bleeding this dry we'll, we'll mail, you, mail you a fresh coffin fresh soil and a and a disposable shovel fresh coffins delivered to your door every month you know but there's, there's just nothing that all went a bit weird but there's you know there's no, you know, out the, um, you know, what do you do? What do you, okay, so let's get serious now. We've had the fun with that thing. Um, what do you do when you walk into the church, whatever service you've chosen, and you've been brave and holding it together outside? But for me, when I walked through the church doors and I heard the organ music playing, that kind of background, um, people are coming into the church music that they play, we were very lucky to have a brilliant organist who was one of dad's friends called uh, Professor Ian Tracy, um, who's a fantastic, he's like the Gordon Ramsay of organ in the UK and possibly globally, he's, he's well-renowned. Anyway, he was a close family friend or at least a very dear friend of my father. So we, we, it was like having, you know, almost like a state level funeral. But when you walk in and you hear that music and you see the people assembled, what do you do when that wave of emotion hits you? Are you supposed to hold it in? Is it graceful to hold it in? Is it better to openly cry? Is that what you're there to do? Are you there to cry? Or are you there to 
deliver a eulogy so that his friends can mourn and they can be sad? Am I supposed to be holding it together for them or are they there for me? Like, you know, there's a question. I don't know. Um, and nobody tells you. Um, not that they should have to, but, uh, you know, I guess we all just assume that you go through this process um, and you're just going to, like, the, like the, being handed the baby, like, here's the big bang. Here's everything the universe depends on. Tural off, look after it, make sure it doesn't die, okay? Otherwise you've just, <laughs> otherwise you've obliterated a miracle, all right? Like, you know, just like you get handed this thing, like, oh, shit, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, you're just supposed to enter this frontier uh, completely winging it, you know? Um, and so there's that, you know, that this in the, in the church service itself, there's just a thousand questions um, that would be nice to know the answers to. Um, regarding the service, if my dad wasn't particularly religious, do I choose the Christian service? Um, or most of his friends are quite religious, so it's nice for them. Um, dad, by the way, all that coffin thing doesn't apply to me anyway because dad, dad wanted to be cremated. Um, and that's... Don't keep all your father's ashes. <laughs> Subscribe to Ashes Away, Ashes to Ashes. <laughs> we'll keep the ashes for you and deliver you a teaspoonful of ashes, fresh ashes every month, so you don't have the burden of looking after all the ashes in your own home. What if there's a spill? What if there's an accident? What if there's a gust of wind? You don't want to lose that precious someone. So we'll look after the ashes for you and for a daily, for a monthly subscription package, monthly subscription cost, we'll mail you a mournable, a mournable, a mournable amount of ashes in a little sachet or a viewing perspex cube. <laughs> cube. Cube's a funny word. We'll mail you a perspex cube with a little bit of ash in there and a Bluetooth MP3 player playing your beloved's favourite song built into the cube. Um, anyway, but uh, that'll happen. They'll find a way to commodify ashes. I bet it'll turn into a monthly subscription service, as will everything else uh, under under in the known universe. Um, but also... Um, Yes, what else was I going to say? In, you know, in the UK, uh, I think I mentioned this before, um, the coroners were extremely backed up. Um, so we didn't, you know, my father passed away in September the 15th. Um, his funeral, we didn't actually have his, his body ready for the, um, for the service. So we had to have it without it. And again, that was like a weird decision we had to make. And again, it would have been nice for us. Oh, this happens all the time. You know, we, we, we would go, oh my God, we would have to funeral without him he's not i mean you know not that he would actually be there if the body's there because he's gone but you know it, it, there's not going to be a, a coffin there and what do you do in that in in its place do you have a photograph um do you just have nothing um so there's that aspect of it as well um and then he was cremated on the uh on the 20th of october so a week after the thanksgiving service and a whole month after he died um it's not, it's weird to think that he was just in some, you know, I guess some fridge somewhere. Um, 
So there's that, there's, you know, yeah, what, what is your role at the wake? Um, are you supposed to listen to other people's stories about him? And again, are they there to support you or you for them or a bit of both? Um, how jovial, I, 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 you know, we put a few jokes in the eulogy. I popped a couple in there and they seemed appropriate. Personally, I wanted to go a bit more all out because I know dad was a bit irreverent and he liked sort of disrupting, um, uh, moments that are imbued with a sense of, uh, ceremony. He was often quite cheeky in the way that he would do speeches at like nothing like a stand up, you know, lawyers, dinners and conferences and stuff. He always would slip some humor in there, but you know, are you meant to be funny in a eulogy? Um, cause it seems like the wake is actually the, the context in which you're more jovial and sharing happy stories. Are, are you meant to kind of be a conduit for people's sadness and therefore deliver a eulogy that's trying to make them cry, you know, is it, is that the purpose? So just all these things. And, you know, we, uh, I think you've just got to do you, I think in those situations, but again, and I'm not going to tell you any answers on in this podcast. I'm going to say, this is what a eulogy is for. And this is how you should do it. Cause I did it this way. What I'm saying is there's no, um, there's not really a, a vehicle for having those chats at that time. Um, and then what else? I mean, there's just, yeah. Oh, and, and back to the body again, what do you, what, what's constructive when you see the body? If you just, if you do choose to go and see it and if you don't choose to go and see it, how can you make yourself feel or not do this, the, the thing that the brain inevitably will do, which is punish yourself possibly later on. Like, why didn't I like, how do you make it okay for yourself? What's the, cause you want to arm people with whatever's going to make the whole grieving process the most, uh, I guess the least bumpy ride. Like you just want to facilitate. So if you do, if you don't go and see it, what, what are some thought processes there that are going to help you? If you do go and see it, what do you do when you're in the room? With this body, um, I personally, I took um, one of my Marla uh, necklaces, you know, with 108 beads on it, and you're supposed to count each bead, uh, breathe in, breathe out, move to the next bead, breathe in, breathe out, move on to the next one. Um, you can either say, repeat a mantra every time you go past one bead, or you can just focus on the fact that you've breathed in and breathed out and then move on to the next one. You can hold a thought in your head and repeat it 108 times. Um, and you obviously you can do more than 108 times. You can get to the end of the necklace and then turn it around and start again and do another 108. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I took that in. I took my little singing bowl because that helps just keep your focus here in the here and now. And I just, I stared at his face and I, I gonged my bowl and um, I, I did one round of just breathing and looking at him and really taking in every detail. And if memories popped up, I let them pop up. Um, if happy memories popped up, great. If sad ones popped up, same. Just accept everything. Um, I finished and then I did another 108. And this time I, I tried to meditate on death. Um, a lot of Buddhists do that. They will meditate next to a, a dead body because even in death, the body can be a sort of teacher, a reminder of the trans, impermanence of everything. And 
it was important to stare at the, his body and realize, yeah, he wasn't there, that he's definitely gone. Um, and that the body will eventually not be us. Like we're just going to, yeah, we're going to die. Um, so I, I, and I found it useful because obviously I wasn't in the country when he died. I wasn't there when he died. Um, and you might know this from previous episodes, but obviously my mum has some serious health considerations. Had dementia, quite advanced. And so as soon as I was home, I was caring for her. All of us were. Um, and so the fact that our funeral happened at all was a miracle because she's extremely, um, she's, she's a, a vacuum of attention and energy. Like you get, you have to, you can't leave her alone for more than three seconds. Otherwise something um, bad will happen or an accident or, you know. Um, so once I was home, I barely had any time to grieve um, all my attention was on her, which is fine as, as it should be, but I just didn't have that sense of finality. And, and unfortunately, because my mum has very bad dementia, she, she hasn't processed that he's, he's, he's gone. She thinks he's still around. And then you have to make the choice, you know, do I tell her again and remind her? Cause that's always a very traumatic and horrible experience. She gets very upset um, and then, but again, what's the worth? Cause in five minutes she will have forgotten. Um, and then do you tell her again? And it's like, well, you, if you do that, you're going to get to the end of the day, having told her her husband's just passed away 20 to 30 times. And she has to go through that realization 30 times in a day. It's exhausting. It's bad for her condition because she gets exhausted, stressed. Uh, so then other aspects of her dementia flare up. Um, so you know, we read around and we read the research and um, realized, yes, you know, the best thing to do is, to, is to, to play along with the fact that he's still alive. You know, when's Tony getting home? Why isn't he here? Is it, well, he's, oh, I know, he's probably just still held back at the office. You know, it's just like, oh my God, I'm trying to write a eulogy for a man at the same time as trying to stop my mum feeding, you know, dark chocolate or bleach to the dog and pretend and keeping him alive verbally, you know. So I didn't have that sense of finality. And so I, because I was keeping my dad alive for my mum. And so visiting his body was, was, I found that useful. But again, it's like, well, it, will it be useful for everyone? Will it depend on personality type? Like, where's the questionnaire you know, where's the personality thing? Like, are you this type of person? Well, you're the type of person who should go and see it. Like, there's just no, um, you know, there's there's just no um, discourse. There's no, you know, here's how to bake cupcakes at school equivalent of, you know, here's how to get, here's how to get through your parents' death. Um, here's what a funeral is like. Here's what a wake is like. Here's what a eulogy can do. Here's what it should do. Here's what it shouldn't do. Here's what you it might do if you wanted to, but it's not necessary. Um, just a thousand questions, and it's just. Um, and then you know, so I mean, to me, there's, there's. I mean, I'm going to start. This is where I realise I've waffled, but because we're hitting the one hour mark again, aren't we? Um, but there's so many different. There's different, I guess, uh, tranches or lanes of. Uh, ignorance that I had. One was the physical aspect and the actual physicality and the emotional process of grieving. So there's that. 
I didn't know what it was going to feel like. Um, and, you know, when you're physically grieving um, and it's a physical sensation and an emotional sensation uh, and an experience, like, you know, you've got to eat properly. You've got to sleep. You've got to um, meditate to calm your mind a little bit or meditate so that you find a quiet space to bring up memories of the, your, you know, your loved one or the deceased, which then fosters more crying and more grieving. And that's actually a good thing. Um, like what, what should you be doing when you're going through it to go through it the best way you can? Are the things you should avoid like coffee, sugar, you know, uh, how, how do you, what, what are the, should you go for a long walk or should you sleep? Like just, there's so much, uh, detail there. So much, so many considerations around grieving, uh, as a process, as a bodily mental process. What do you do if you start feeling, um, really depressed or suicidal or, you know, who, you know, do you call a counselor? Do you call a friend? Let's just, just a lot going on there. Then there's the logistical side of things. So the funeral, the wake, who do you invite? What do you do if the body's not ready? Uh, does it matter? I mean, apparently, I mean, for us, it didn't matter. It was actually quite nice to have a, a joyful day, a, a celebration day of the, you know, the church service where we had a nice eulogy that really honored him. Beautiful singing, beautiful organ playing, um, just lots of lovely music, lots of crying. Um, and the wake immediately after that was a continuation of that and more jovial and just lots of people drinking and talking and sharing. That, that was great. Didn't matter that the actual cremation wasn't that day, but I didn't know that. I thought, oh, the body's not ready. Well, we can't do it. We can't have anything. Again, just finding these things out as it on, on the, on the, on the fly. Um, so there's the, the logistical side of it, um, as well. Um, and then after, and then now, I guess the, the the bit I'm in now is is afterwards. Is like I've done the funeral, I've done the wake, I've cried a lot, but I still don't. I don't feel finished yet. I don't feel any sort of closure. I just feel a continuation. Like, what's that going to be like? Is it like someone slowly turning the volume down over five years on a feeling? Is that what it's going to be like? Is there going to be a a breakthrough moment where I'm just at peace with the fact that he's, he's gone, you know, this, this, again, the feeling in my body is that, how is that going to change? Are there going to be worse feelings ahead? Am I going to come out in hives? You know, I, I don't know. Like, you know, my, the skin in my beard became terrible because I guess, um, through stress, like my, my inflammatory markers went up. So my skin got worse for a bit and I had to, really focus on lowering my inflammation by unfortunately in England, because we were in a kind of grieving celebratory mood, I just, you know, packed myself full of like fudge and scones and cream <laughs> and just, you know, none of these things are good for us. And again, like no one was saying, yeah, by the way, you know, if you, um, if you tuck into lots of sweeties to keep your energy up, um, while you're stressed, you know, your skin's going to fall apart. So, you know, you really look after yourself. It's like you need a a body coach. You need a personal trainer, a counsellor. You need a, a producer, like an event producer. You need, you need these three different brains. And yet you can't because you're the one going through it. 
You know, I mean, if I were really cynical, I'd launch a service that like is like Uber or <laughs> Airbnb that unites. When somebody's grieving, you get, you know, a personal trainer comes along, a counselor comes along and an event planner comes along and um, all wrapped up in one package. That's right. Don't source them separately. <laughs> Here at Grieve Away... We, we source these three separate people and bring them together under one monthly subscription. Why do I need a monthly one? How long am I going to be grieving for, for fuck's sake? You know, anyway, got to stop using that gag. But, you know, I feel like you need those three things or, and more. Uh, and you need a philosopher and you need a speechwriter and you need... Anyway, all of this is to say that I think, you know, we just... It's good to know these things. I'd much rather know how to to organize and a funeral and honor a loved one properly and how to look after myself, which thankfully again, and I'll say it again, I I was way ahead of where I might otherwise have been. Um had I if I you know, if I hadn't been reading for five years on meditation, impermanence the concept of non-self, the fact that we can't really say that we die because we, we you can't even say that we're born. We just, we we, manage, we change what, the, the amount of stuff in the universe doesn't change, you know. So you, you've always been here in some form, but you might be a bit of sunlight mixed with a bit of tree, mixed with a bit of soil, mixed with a bird, mixed with that fart someone did 10 years ago that's now drifting around the atmosphere. Like, the, the things that are you have always been here um, and then they coalesce and you're here for a while in this body and then you go back to it like, and the, you know, the analogy of the, the, the wave in the ocean, it looks like an individual, it, um, it seems like it's got its own characteristics and features and it's kind of identifiable as, as a wave as distinct from all the other waves. But it is also just the water that's connected to the ocean. So it's it's never, it's not like water in the ocean becomes a wave. It's not like it becomes a non-water thing while it's a wave. And then when the wave crashes on the shore, it becomes water again. It's always water. So, you know, I, I, I'm lucky that I had all that. But if I, if I didn't have that, who would have told me to go and read that stuff? Um, you know, what's the best book on grief? I've read like five. Maybe I should do a book review <laughs> in the next next episode. Uh, make this the grief thing run for three episodes long. But you know, I just I feel really. Um, I guess going through it, I think it's uh, it's good to send notes back from the front line, I suppose, and just let you know <laughs> that it's extremely disorienting and confusing, and there's lots to consider, and. Um, there's not a lot of, there's not a recipe book, you know, there's not a cupcake evening class you can go to, or maybe there is, maybe there are grief classes, but again, and, and this is the other thing. So one, the knowledge isn't foisted on us and two culture denies it as a, as a, as an important area of focus. Like it's much more by the thing embrace the, you know, Marvel, Disney, new clothes, better job, 
get a promotion, get the car. Um, just it's, it's all from from the moment we wake up. It's just the news cycle, and it's um, what do you need to buy today? As if these are the two things around which human existence uh, should um, organize itself, and it's not. It's like you know, death is a, is probably the most important thing, and it's no wonder that um, you know spiritual practices and uh, tra- schools of thought that are responsible for vastly increasing people's happiness. It's no wonder that those, uh, uh, what am I saying? Sorry, the jet lag just kicked in. in a, I just got hit by a wave of it. Sorry about that. Um, it's, it's no wonder that these groups, spiritual groups, religions that are uh, focused on human well-being, it's no, it's no coincidence that the ones that generate the most well-being also offer us the most realistic uh, account of death and a, a real focus on death. Like, you know, if you do become a monk or whatever, I th- you do spend a lot of time meditating next to dead bodies um, or meditate with or spend time with the dying and, and you're with them when they die and you help them transition through the that, you know, the greatest of all transitions. You know, there's no wonder that and the, the, and they're not sad. I mean, that's the thing. It's crucial to happiness because it makes you aware of how precious everything is, and it really brings into sharp focus priorities and the things that you're focusing on that aren't making you happy. Why am I putting time into that? Why have I made that a priority when we only have this one um, this one life? I think you know as well. This, this is why a lot of Eastern thought I find really healthy because it's about accepting. It's not about denying or running away from. It's about accepting suffering, accepting death, accepting the inevitable, accepting that there's going to be pain, uh, decay, uh, cruelty in your life. Um, because if you try and suppress it, well, then those things have a habit of metastasizing and coming out in all sorts of unhealthy ways. But again, and I also find that, you know, why certain Judeo-Christian approaches to me seem a bit um, unhelpful. Again, because if I read that, you know, when you die, you go to some happy theme park in in space um, and that actually this life on earth isn't what it's about. It's about the everlasting kingdom of whoever. When you die, kind of A, it makes this life seem a bit like a perfunctory stepping stone and be it makes death something that somehow conveniently is belittled and made nothing of. So, well, actually, don't worry, because death is just the ticket you pay to get into magic fucking love land, you know. And it's, like, it's not it's not a ticket to get somewhere better. It's the end. It's re- You need to know that. Because <laughs> um, not knowing that and not believing that just trivializes it um, and makes it seem nothing. It's weirdly naive. It's weirdly, um, it arouses suspicion. Certainly did in me when I was a teenager. It's like, hang on a minute. So you're, there's a whole group of adults here who've gathered around the idea that don't worry, death's, <laughs> death just means you become <laughs> an angel in the clouds. Like, wow, this seems really like a lot of people just trying to like convince themselves that, you know, they've got nothing to fear. 
um, and that death is is nothing. So well, it is you know. Anyway, I'm waffling. Um, so I, I yeah, I find just accepting death and and being confronted with it sort of uh, robs it of its power a little bit. It ceases being this mysterious thing. Um, it just becomes a very real aspect, a real facet of the human condition. And we, it's healthy to know that. It's, it's, it's crucial to our lives that we die. It's the, probably one of the, you know, the most defining aspects of, of existence is that it, it, it is temporary. Um, and burying ourselves in, you know, the eternal youth presented to us in pop culture and plastic surgery and miracle creams and, you know, 70 is the new 60. Yeah, well, it's still still a lot closer to death than 30 is. You know, it's like all these reassurances that actually somehow we're going to live forever and we've got nothing to fear. Be be aware of death. Meditate on it. Look at your loved ones and occasionally, you know, repeat that to yourself that, you know, we are all of the nature that we're going to get sick. We're all of the nature that we're going to get old. We're all of the nature we're going to die. Everyone around me and everything around me will one day be gone and all that remains, the only true part of me that's going to live on is are my actions and um, the impact I've had on this world. Keep bringing that into sharp relief um, and let's not hide. And um, yeah, someone please start a course <laughs> on how to get through all this because I'm finding it, it's just a, the, the last thing you want to do during the one of the most stressful times of your life is discovering the mechanics of how to navigate the most stressful part of your life. You know, I'd rather know, I would rather know all this before it happens. I'd rather be prepared uh, and equipped with everything I need to know so that when it happens, I'm, you know, if when my mum dies, I mean, thankfully I've been through this once now, but, you know, if, if when my mum dies, I want to just be able to get through that experience as present and meaningfully as I can. I don't want to be like, shit, I don't know this. And what does that mean? And, you know, you don't want to be figuring, you don't, you don't want to be learning how to be a neurosurgeon when you've got the scalpel in your hand and the person's head is open, you know, it's quite a stressful, it's quite an important thing to get right, isn't it? (laughs) Brain surgery. It's not something you should really try and figure out on the job. Uh, same with grieving. It's not something really you want to be figuring out as you're doing it, because as you're doing it, you want to be doing it. You just want to be in it. Uh, you don't want to be in it and have your attention drawn away by a list of a thousand questions you don't know the answer to because nobody's ever discussed it because we all just watch Kim Kardashian being endlessly youthful on fucking talk shows and hot young people shagging each other on, you know, Love Island or Fuck Mountain or whatever, <laughs> whatever the shows are. It's just it's just a a synonym for sex and a location, isn't it? <laughs> Coitus Marsh. <laughs> oh gosh, Coitus Marsh. That's right, Coitus Marsh. And oh, no, I wouldn't be that wouldn't be a American voice. 
the British wouldn't be sad and depressing. 14 kilometers, 14 kilometers of pristine British wetlands with its own local fauna like the Dunnock and Dunlin and birds of prey all inhabiting a marsh, but wait for it. There are new birds of prey in town. That's right, introducing 14 hot people just gagging for a fuck. That's... <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome, this is Coitus Marsh, featuring Wendy from Norwich. If you get him away, cat's gonna play. That doesn't even make sense. And more guests with weird platitudes. Yeah, they say a mouse only strikes twice. Well, I'm lightning and I'm gonna squeak. Again, doesn't, do, okay. Who's next? It's, it's John from Birmingham. When the mouse is away, cat's gonna, that's not Birmingham. When the cat's away, mouse is gonna play. Well, I'm the cat and I still wanna play. Yeah, lots, lots of mouse and cat analogies here on Coitus Marsh. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's enough of Coitus Marsh. Um, except who could forget Peter from Liverpool? They say, you gotta strike while the iron's hot. Well, I'm hot. That's why I'm not gonna do the ironing. Okay. Oh, Jesus Christ, kill me. But, um, you know, we focus on these TV shows and it's not healthy for us. Um, so in conclusion, I would read whatever you can on grief. Um, prepare yourself for it. We don't talk enough about it. Um, listen, be receptive to someone who has just lost someone and just absorb it. Take notes, mental notes. Um, and I will, if you're a Patreon supporter, I will follow this episode up with a reading list that I, of things I read that I found useful because you never know when it's going to happen. It is inevitable. We didn't spend any time talking about it. Um, and it's natural and it's, you know, you can suck a lot of the fear and stigma, um, out of it by being literate in it. You know, I mean, we fear most what we don't understand and, uh, we don't put a lot of time into understanding death at all. We put a lot of time into ignoring it, pretending it's not real, or telling ourselves sort of fairy tales that it doesn't matter because it's just a stepping stone to something even more exciting and lovely. Now, I personally, this is just me, I personally don't believe that's true. Um, but yes, there'll be a reading list on Patreon uh, for the supporters and um, for stuff that helped me. Thank you once again for uh, sitting through me working this out. Um, and like I said, this, this was more of an episode reflecting on just the culture of ignoring death so much as uh, what I'm going through at the moment, which I discussed more in the previous episode. So if you were interested in that, where I described some like the physical symptoms of grief, I suppose, um, you can head on to the previous episode and, and have a listen to that. Um, I'll try and change topics. <laughs> For the next time and I, I hope I think I might have missed 
an episode here because I was in England and it was it was just a nightmare. I've had a really weird three months, six, I think six weeks or seven weeks of the past three months I've been in the UK, either caring for my mum to help dad or once dad unexpectedly passed away, just organising the funeral and, and helping mum, which was even more stressful than the first time. Um, so it's been a lot. Um, but yes, what else can I say that's of any use? Uh, just look after you, look after yourself. You've got to meditate. You've got to uh, meditate sometimes on death. Uh, say those phrases, you know, one day you're of the nature to get sick. You're of the nature to get old. You're of the nature that you'll die. Everyone around you is of the nature that they will one day be lost to you. And um, the only thing that lives on or stays, the only thing of you that will remain is your actions and deeds. So uh, try and be a better person. And um, yeah, if you get the opportunity to meditate on on death, I would, I would, you know, I would do it. It's it's useful. Uh, it will better prepare you for when it happens. It won't be as much of a shock. You will realise it's just part of life. It's it's no more a tragedy in uh, in most of hopefully in most circumstances, than um, growing, aging, you know, growing from 10 to 20 is, isn't tragic and it's not tragic aging from 70 to not existing. Um, it is just part of everything. It is going to happen. Anyway, um, feedback always welcome. And yes, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can on over to patreon.com slash, I think it's Jazz Twemlo. I think. I should fucking know these things, shouldn't I? Wonder why I don't have it more Patreon supporters. Um, and yeah, let me know what, uh, what you're thinking. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always around. I'm always willing to share as well uh, if there are certain questions you have that are, haven't been addressed by this. And I'm sure there's lots of things that haven't been addressed by this because it was just a broad stroke uh, introduction to kind of, I guess, my reflections on the whole uh, lack of presence of death in our culture, um, except when it's baddies who deserve it. Um, lots of death in movies for people who definitely deserve it. The superheroes never die, though, apart from Robert Downey Jr., but he'll be back in fucking some multiverse bullshit anyway, probably. Um, cash cow, keep milking it. Um, but yeah, if there's something you would like to know, or again, at least I'll be putting up the reading list, so that should help a little bit. If there's anything, any questions or whatever, I'm always happy to share. Uh, if if it's of use, I'm, I'm not. I won't answer questions if I feel like my answer won't um, actually be constructive. I'm not an expert in anything, but if 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 I if I get the sense that something I can say might be of benefit, then I will say it, and I'll try to answer your uh, questions if possible. Uh, which again, best done on uh, Patreon. Failing that, uh, you can direct message me on um, Instagram, on my profile there. Okay, um, much love. I hope you're all well. Look after yourself. Eat well, sleep well, meditate. Focus on the breath. Don't forget to breathe. Um, and I will chat to you in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. And um, yeah, I hope you um, enjoyed this episode. <laughs>